Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series based on that beautiful Christmas carol, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. We're going through that carol because it confesses so much of what scripture has to say about who Jesus is. As we think about the Christmas season as we prepare, there's nothing better we can do than to spend time wrestling with who Jesus is. Because if we understand who he is, we understand what Christmas is about. Listen to this second verse of that beautiful carol. We we probably all sung it before at church or at a, a caroling group or, or something like that, but do we actually stop and listen to it? If we hear it play on a collection of our favorite Christmas songs, do we stop? Do we listen to it? Listen to this. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords and human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. If you think about those verses, those or those words, what do we hear? We hear, it sounds like Christmas at the beginning, born of Mary, but then it seems to jump and it feels like it goes right to Easter or at least Monday, Thursday, doesn't it? We, we have the Last Supper, Jesus giving himself the cross. And that's what we keep seeing if we think about the series on Monday night and the series we started on Sunday night a couple weeks ago. If we think about those two, we keep coming back to how the cross and the cradle are, are interlinked. They're not separate things. We often pull them apart. But in God's story of redemption, they're all one amazing, miraculous, wondrous action. And so it is, as Christians over the ages have sung these words, they've sung them reflecting on how the one who was born of Mary, the one we celebrate his birth on Christmas Day, is the one who gives himself as the nourishment that we need, who gives us his righteousness and makes us his. It all comes together. And that's what we see in Scripture. That's why I love this carol so much, is it's pulling straight from Scripture. It's pulling what we really need to, to spend our time on at Christmas time. And so let's pray and ask our God to help us to better understand the mystery of what he's doing and, and how he's called us to reflect on it. And then we'll dig right in by turning to Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we think about these words that summarize your word. And we find words that are almost incomprehensible. How do we even begin to understand what it is that you have done for us? But Lord, would you help us to better understand? And as we better understand that, would you help us to better understand what you've called us to do and to be this Christmas season and every time of the year? We ask this in Jesus' name. Last night, we talked a great deal about Jesus's glory and how he came humbly, but came as the king. He came as God himself. And tonight, we'll come back to that. But we're going to start by thinking about a very important companion truth, that Jesus was born as a genuine human being. He wasn't merely one who came in glory, no matter how humbly he presented himself. He also came as one just like us. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we read these very familiar, beautiful words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We hear these words and, well, we read them at Christmas time, right? That's what we do with them. But the key thing we need to start with, the key thing we need to hold on to here, is there's a profound break from everything we read about before in Scripture. As we think about who Jesus is, whom it is that we read about in the rest of the New Testament, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament, we find that we're coming to God himself. And yet, what are we told here? This wonderful, mysterious thing, that Jesus was born of Mary, that Jesus was an actual human being. He experienced being a baby. This is the mystery that we confess as Christians, that that God didn't just love us. God came into this world and lived as us. And not some approximation of us. God didn't just materialize as an adult 30-year-old male and start preaching the gospel. Now, what did God do? He went through a whole experience of life. God is a human being. Now, certainly there were mythologies around that talked about gods who were like human beings. We think about Greek mythology or Roman mythology, Babylonian mythology. There was a lot that sounded sort of kind of like this, but different. The key thing is that when we think about For example, Zeus, Zeus looked like a human being. Often he acted like a really bad human being. But what he really was, was this sort of Superman human being. He was like a superhero from one of the superhero movies. He had extra powers, still limited, still fallen, but he was kind of like a human being. So he didn't fully understand the human experience, nor was he fully above the human experience. But when we think about what the Christian confession of who Jesus is says, he wasn't a superman in that sense. Instead, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Paul writes, He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus experienced what it was like to be an actual human being. The Greeks never could say that Zeus had experienced that because while he acted like a human being, he walked like a human being, he talked like a human being, he wasn't really a human being. He was some third thing between what we think of as God and and what we know are human beings. And likewise, so often that's what we hear when people talk about divine beings. The mystery of Jesus was that Jesus walked the earth as an actual human being not just something like a human being. A few years ago, when the Impossible Whopper came out at Burger King, I wanted to give it a try. Everyone was talking about this fake meat burger and how it tasted so much like a Whopper. And and so it was interesting to give it a, a try. The Impossible Burger has a lot going for it. It has all the same toppings. It has the smoky flavor. It, it looks like a Whopper. It costs quite a bit more than a Whopper. 
But one thing that's notable if you start eating it is it doesn't really taste like a Whopper. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't a Whopper. It was a separate third thing. When we think about the way oftentimes people talk about Jesus, when we think about how sometimes we even fall into the trap of thinking about Jesus, we sort of think about him as an impossible person. In the sense that here was someone who came into the world who kind of looked like a human being, kind of acted like a human being. Maybe from a distance you'd think he was a human being, but he wasn't really a human being. But scripture here wants us to see him as an actual, unmistakable, 100% human being. He's like the advertisement you see for the burger at someplace else that says 100% pure beef. Jesus was 100% pure human. You weren't going to find any additives in him. You weren't going to find chemicals trying to approximate what a human being is like. If he'd been alive today in human form on earth, he's still alive today, but he doesn't allow us to take him to the hospital, for example, and run diagnostics on him. But if he did, if or if those were available back then and he'd submitted to those tests, they would have found human DNA, they would have found human blood, they would have found him to be exactly like us. Because Jesus was a human being, born as human beings are born. And that's where we start. It's not where we end. If he was a human being, if that's all he was, then we're in trouble. We talked about that last night. He has to be so much more than that in order for what Scripture promises to actually come. But, but what do we find? He wasn't anything less. And he wasn't just something different. Jesus was a human being. He wasn't the impossible person. Jesus was the very possible person, the fullness of humanity. And that's the thing with the Impossible Burger. No matter how much it tries to be like a burger, it isn't quite a burger. And if you enjoy a Whopper, for example, you're probably not going to enjoy an Impossible Burger quite as much. It has some of the things about it, but not all of it. And so, if you're like me and you go back, you probably are going to order just the regular Whopper, as long as you don't have some other reason that you're trying to avoid beef. And, and, and yet, with Jesus, he's not some just close approximation, not even a better revision of a humanoid. He is an actual human. We can't ever let go of that. We need to hold on to that as Christians, that this is who he is. There have been heretics over the ages who would kind of fudge this and change it a little bit. And in that, they were losing something wonderful about what Jesus has done. And we'll get to that more in a moment. But let's go ahead and hold this intention with the other thing we know about Jesus. And that's what we started to talk about last night, which is that Jesus was born genuine God, Luke one thirty-five. And the angel answered her, that is Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What do we see developed over the New Testament? Over and over again, we see an emphasis that Jesus is a human being, but he's also fully God. When we talk about the Son of God, we're not talking about a half-God, half-human hybrid. Again, that wouldn't be someone who's actually human. He'd be something sort of like human. He'd be that impossible person. But also, he wouldn't be fully God. So he'd be sort of impossible God, too. And so he wouldn't be satisfactory in either category. But when we look at Jesus, Jesus is both fully God and fully human being. 
He's God made flesh amongst us. That's exactly what John chapter 1 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus really came into the world to experience what we experience. And that's where those two pieces come together. When we think about it, by saying that he was true God, that God himself came into the world, we're saying God experienced things that we experience. And by saying that he actually came into the world as a human being, we're saying he experienced them like we do. It's easy to go into a setting where we're not really a part of it and to say we've experienced it, but not really experience it because we're different. Sometimes you hear that complaint when when people go on what we might call tourism missionary work, a short-term missions trip where you go someplace you'd really like to go anyway, some country that sounds interesting or exotic. Maybe you stay in a really nice place as you're doing so. And and, and somewhere along the line, the missions team goes and paints a building or takes some pictures with the missionaries, maybe sets up some special event, but basically drops in, lives as tourists, and then goes back out. It's a profoundly different thing than someone who says, okay, I'm going to be a missionary to this culture and, and, and learns the language of the culture, learns the customs of the culture, maybe spends years in preparation and then goes and lives in that culture as someone of that culture. Now, sometimes we'll hear from missionaries that actually really appreciate the short-term mission for their own encouragement, someone dropping in and saying, I care enough to show up. But a lot of times you'll also hear missionaries talk about how this is profoundly challenging to them because they spend time giving tours of the countryside and so on, rather than doing the actual ministry they're called to do. It becomes maybe a necessary evil. It's a way to get funds for the mission because people that go... They see the setting and then they think, well, I'll go ahead and give some money to this missionary or what have you. But they haven't really experienced what it's like to be in that culture. They haven't really walked alongside the people in that culture and absorbed it and, and felt their pain and their joys. It's a different thing. Sometimes we have that in our own life. Someone maybe drops by as we're struggling with a problem and they sit there for a few minutes and they watch us struggle and they offer some suggestions. And probably oftentimes if we've been working on something for a while, not necessarily suggestions that actually do much for us because they're not really in the problem. They're not really struggling with it. And then they walk away. Maybe they go to someone else. Yeah, we've been working on this problem together. And if you've ever had someone say that as you're maybe in the distance, you're still struggling on fixing something and the person over there is acting like they have been right there with you in it. You probably think, well, drop the we because yes, you stopped by for a few minutes. Maybe it was even nice to have someone stop by as, as a friendly encouragement, but, but you haven't been struggling through this with me. You can't do it that quickly. I've been working on this for days or weeks or years. A few minutes isn't the same thing. When we read about our God, he's not a short-term missionary. When we read about our God, he isn't the person who drops by for a few minutes to say an encouraging word. Jesus went and lived a human life, just like you experience and I experience. And this tells us something about what he does then. His entire life from the moment he comes into the world is part of his sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for us. It's not merely what comes at the end. The whole of Jesus' life matters, and the whole of Jesus' life is tied to what he's doing, experiencing what we experience. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. 
Mary and Joseph are at the temple getting Jesus dedicated, and it says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As Simeon looked at that baby, he didn't say, Someday he's going to be a sacrifice. Someday things will come of him. Someday there's this human that, that you're going to raise, and someday God's going to come down and turn him into God in the flesh or something like that. He didn't say that. He looked at Jesus and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit who Jesus really was. And so he looks at Jesus and says, this is what Jesus is going to do. This is the wonder of what's going to come. And so it is, as we think about who Jesus is, and we think back to what we read in Philippians a little while ago, that he humbled himself, that he came in in the form of a servant, even though he didn't need to, what we see is this ultimate sacrifice, this lifelong sacrifice that begins with him coming into the world, with the miracle that we celebrate at Christmas. All of it is totally undeserved. He didn't owe anything to the world. He didn't owe anything to you or to me. And, and when he came into the world, he wasn't even recognized properly. John talks about that in John 1 verses 9 to 10. He talks about how he wasn't recognized by the very people that he made. And so often, even, even as we're reading his word and looking at it, what do we do? We, we read parts, we get little pictures of Jesus that we like, and we recognize that, but we don't really recognize the fullness of who Jesus is. But he's the true king. He's the king of the entire universe. He's the one who made everything. He made you. He made me. And we're called to recognize him and to understand that he came into the world. This dual nature of Jesus, that he's both fully God and fully man, is, is such an incredible part. It is the heart of where we are as Christians, because if he'd only been God in the world, again, it would have been like that short-term missionary. If he'd only been human in the world, well, even the best human being couldn't actually save us. But when we see those two together, we get why the angels were celebrating at Christmas. We get why Satan wanted to stop him so badly at the temptation. We get why all the earthly powers rose up against him and why the disciples at pain of death would continue to preach of what he had done even after he ascended into heaven. They held on to the fullness of that and they were passionate about it. It's kind of interesting when we think about this time of year. Oftentimes we spend more time talking about Santa than we do about Jesus. But at its best, those conversations are actually pointing to the very thing we've been talking about. Because Santa or St. Nicholas was an actual defender of the Christian faith. Maybe you've seen a picture like this of him if you've read a history book. St. Nicholas was the Bishop of Myra. And right there we see one of his most famous acts. It wasn't driving a sleigh with eight tiny reindeer or nine if we add in Rudolph. It wasn't anything like that. He was known to be generous, but perhaps his most famous act was he went to the Council of Nicaea and he did something that many of us may have felt like doing in a committee meeting, but restrain ourselves from doing. He heard something utterly absurd and he slapped the person saying it. We're talking about saint here, right? We're talking about jolly old St. Nick. Well, jolly old St. Nick wasn't always so jolly. You see, 
at the Council of Nicaea, there was someone there arguing that Jesus was essentially like Zeus. He was a, he was more than us as human beings, but he wasn't the divine creator of all things, the, the ultimate power over everything in the universe, that he was, in the technical sense, what's known as a demigod. And Nicholas heard this. He heard this and he couldn't take it. Why? Because the very one who has all glory, who deserves all recognition, was being maligned. Part of who he is was being taken away. Part of the creator of the universe's willingness to come into this world and experiencing it fully was being denied. Part of that human being that walked on this earth's true glory was being denied. And man, he couldn't hold in his anger over that. He was defending his God. Sort of interesting because we as Christians don't necessarily recommend resorting to violence to, to solve our disputes. And so when we look at a picture of St. Nicholas, usually the, the pictures of him don't give him the bishop's mitre. It's removed from him because even those who agreed with him felt like he shouldn't have necessarily resorted to, to slapping people to make his point. At the same time, though, when I, when I think about that and I think about him, I think there's something worth noting there. He saw what was at stake. He saw that, yes, there were these people that confessed to be Christians, that confessed to be preaching the gospel, but were denying who Jesus really was and Jesus really is. And he realized that tore apart everything that mattered at Christmas and the rest of the year. And he realized that wasn't what the church could do. And they got the best of him. Not necessarily advocating that the next time you find someone with a bad theological perspective that you follow in kind. But, oh, that we would take theology so seriously. Oh, that we would take who Jesus is so seriously that it would upset us like upset Nicholas when he heard error. When he heard someone denying that Jesus is both God and man fully. Here's the challenge for us. We talked last night about how we need to respond to Jesus. Peter responds to Jesus. The other disciples ultimately respond to Jesus. Christians over the centuries have responded to Jesus. And likewise, as we read who Jesus is here, we need to decide how we're going to respond. Are we going to respond to Jesus as one who understands us, but is fully, truly the glorious king of the universe who deserves full recognition? Jesus himself says that we need to. We look at Luke 19, 14, for example. I'm not going to turn there right now, but take a look. It's in the middle of a parable. And those who deny him, those who deny the king's proper authority and reign, are tossed out for all eternity. Jesus challenges us not to be those people. We often hear the phrase, I don't want to end up on the wrong side of history. Well, there's nothing that would put us more on the wrong side of history than denying the fullness of who Jesus is. Because we turn away from him, we turn away from everything good and everything that can restore. And here's the beauty of that. That sounds kind of harsh. It sounds more like that slap and less like the kindness and love we, we talk about being called to, to show as Christians. But it's so much more. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every, who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The author of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus really does understand us. 
we think about Nicholas and what else is he known for? He's known for being the one who, who went and gave his wealth to help those in need. He seems to, by all accounts, have been an incredibly generous man. He just understood how much was at stake. We all need to understand how much is at stake, too. Because what does Jesus do? He offers us his very flesh and blood, a heavenly feast, just as the carol says, to, to nourish us, to bring us into his family. Are we going to end up on the right side of history? Because here's the true mystery of Christmas. Jesus experienced death to rescue us. He experienced death as a human being, the thing that we are hurtling towards ourselves. He took it on that we don't ultimately have to. Because who took it on? God took it on. Where are we going to end up? This Christmas, may we be those who end up on the right side of history, and may we help those that we celebrate Christmas with to do so as well. Not with a slap like Nicholas. I don't recommend that this Christmas season. But help speak of the urgency and the wonder and the power of the God who came into the world both fully God and fully human. And we see as he was willing as the immortal one to come into this world to experience death. We see what he solves for us as those who constantly face our own mortality. Would you pray with me, please? Father, would you be with us and would you guide us? Would you help us to never lose sight of the wonder of what you've done, the power and the majesty of what you've done, and how desperately we need it? Lord, we ask for your strength and your grace, and we ask that you would remind us of your love. For we know that all this comes out of your love for us. What truly amazing, wonderful love that is. What a mystery that is. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you, and we're going to continue to think about what Jesus has done for us on Friday night. We have O Christmas Faith Tree, and we're going to take a journey from the very beginning of time, from the very creation where things go off the rails there, all the way to what's ultimately coming. The one who is both God and man came into the world that someday we would see the restoration of all things and spend eternity in his glorious presence. And so please come to O Christmas Faith Tree. It's December 8th, that's Friday at 7 p.m. And join us as we sing old favorite carols, hear some new beautiful Christmas music. We have special guests, including Rock, who joined us at oh, Christmas, uh, excuse me, at Faithtoberfest a year ago. And he's going to come back and share with us this Friday. It's going to be a wonderful, special time. Uh, the first time ever we're going to hear from the Little Hills Choir. It's just going to be great. Please come, please invite, whether in person or online, invite others to join to hear the wonder of who Jesus is. If you have any prayer requests today, any questions, feel free to shoot us a text at 833-356-4032 or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I'll see you again.